All right. Welcome once again. This is session four. And uh, now each time we, we go forward, we just start squeezing this thing a little tighter. Now, uh, in the daily today, we learned that we discovered that God's goal for us is our sanctification, is to be set aside for holy use. God's intent is to restore in humanity what was lost in the Garden of Eden. That is the goal of the plan of salvation. Um, His goal is for us to live above the power of sin. How is that done? We learned it's through an abiding relationship with Jesus. And we learned what this relationship looks like on a daily basis. It's called the daily, the daily experience that we learned uh, in the sanctuary. It's coming to Christ every day right? It's making sure that there's nothing between our soul and our Savior. Uh, it's, it's recommitting our lives to Jesus. It's asking for the Holy Spirit, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. It's reading the Word where the Holy Spirit begins now that transformation with understanding as we see what God's will is for life, and then it's communicating with God every day. Well, now what we're going to do is we're going to move into the most holy place. <clears throat> now, here we learned about justification, God dealing with our past, sanctification, God dealing with the present, and glorification, God taking care of the future. God has us covered, friends. Can you say amen to that? And I would like once again to pray. Please bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, I am so thankful again for the opportunity to present the word, your word, Lord, and Father, as Haley said so eloquently, uh, it's not the words of a man that these folks have come to hear, but the words of God. And so I am requesting once again, Savior, your mind. Lord, I pray that you will be uh, rightly represented in this message. I pray again, Lord, that you will shut us in the secret place of the Most High and that your angels of light will present a ring of fire around us that every distraction will be kept out. Lord, you know there are those that need to be here, and and I pray, Lord, that want to be here, and I pray you'll make them aware that they will come in, Father, and not miss this. And Savior, I pray now that you will enter into this room and into our experience, that we may sit at your feet and learn the truth about the judgment. We thank you for this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, oftentimes when I hear people talk about the judgment, it's with fear. Uh, The Bible writers actually didn't have that perspective of the judgment. Do you know that? They didn't. If you have your lessons with you, uh, your handouts, I am going to read the introduction. I'll read it aloud if you'll read along with me. You ready? In this study, we will learn the truth about the judgment. The truth of a final judgment is deeply rooted in the Bible. It is mentioned scores of time. Psalmists, prophets, and apostles all bear consistent testimony to it. Jesus also made many pointed references to the judgment. It marks the climax in some of his greatest parables and is the focal point of much of his teachings. The Bible writers had a unique perspective on the judgment. They did not treat it as bad news, but as what? Good news. 
They did not view it as something outside the redemptive process, but part of that process. They saw the judgment as proof that God is a moral God, that the universe has a moral base. They saw that it was proof that history is not an aimless, undirected process. To the Bible writers, history was going somewhere. Therefore, they welcomed the judgment with eagerness and hope because it promised the ultimate exposure and condemnation of evil and the ultimate vindication and triumph of righteousness and truth. And it's interesting, you know, that many Christians today fear the whole idea of the judgment. And it's interesting when you study uh, the Old Testament, you'll find people like David saying, Judge me, O Lord. He was not afraid of it. He was calling for it. Something has been missed and misunderstood. Somehow the devil got into the details and has confused this issue. I pray that in this study, when we're done, we will no longer be afraid of our loving Heavenly Father. But we will be afraid of something. So let's get into our presentation. Number one. Can we be certain that there will be a judgment? Acts 17.31 says, God has appointed what? A day on which he will judge the world. And so, yes, there is a judgment. God appointed a day, and that day began on October 22, 1844, according to the prophecy of Daniel 8.14. Let's continue here. Let's take a look at some of that. Number two, how does Daniel describe the judgment seen when Jesus moves from the holy place to the most holy, Daniel 7, uh, chapter 7, 9, 10, 13, 14. Please take note of the movement uh, that is described here by the prophet Daniel, the movement that he sees. Watch. I watched till thrones were what? They were put in place. Where were they before? Out of place. Right? And the ancient of days was? What was he before? Standing. His garment was white as wool. His hair as the, uh, on his head was like pure wool. The throne of fiery flame, it's what? Wheels, what do wheels imply? Movement. A burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. I was watching in the night vision and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. What we're seeing are the events that transpired on that day of October 22, 1844. What we're seeing is when the transition came from the holy place to the most holy. This is where and when the final phase of the plan of salvation went into effect. When Jesus is done here, it's over. Can you say amen to that? Let's take a look at number three. Who will be brought into the judgment? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. You know, when I was growing up in Los Angeles, it wasn't uncommon to see the police pull up in front of a house, two police officers walk up and knock on the door and hand a subpoena to someone. It wasn't uncommon to witness that. 
Um, and I would imagine that would be a pretty unnerving experience. Just imagine one day that you're home watching 3ABN, and uh, all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, you open the door, and there are two burly police officers, and they hand you a subpoena, and they say, this is, uh, are you so-and-so? Yes, I am. Uh, you have a day in court. I would imagine that one of the first things you're going to do is find out what are the charges against you. Am I right? The next thing I I imagine you're going to do is you're going to go find yourself a good lawyer. Isn't that right? My brothers and sisters, you have all been subpoenaed. Every one of us has a day in court. No games. It's the real deal. It's time to get a good lawyer. And I have one to recommend to you. I have one. Let's keep going. That's the reality of where we are right now. Number four, with which class will the judgment begin? 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin where? At the house of God. And if it begins with us first, is a very interesting question, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So you remember, as we were watching, uh, as we were following the the sin, the the judgment begins with those who made a commitment to Christ. Are you with me? So when I asked Jesus to be my Savior, my sin was placed on Jesus. Jesus died for my sin, and that sin was transferred into the sanctuary in heaven. So the record of that sin is in heaven. It's no longer my sin. It now became Jesus' sin. And on my books in heaven, as it's opened, that's the sin, next to that sin is the blood of Christ, and it says the word pardoned. Thank you, my brother. It says, brother, it says pardoned. Now, what takes place now is an investigation to see and to check the genuineness of my commitment. We see weddings take place all the time, don't we? We hear beautiful vows that are exchanged. How many of those marriages make it? They don't remain faithful to that vow. And so there is an investigation to see if we remain faithful to our commitment to Jesus Christ. There is an investigation. So the the reality is you want to be in the investigative judgment because those who do not, uh, are not investigated there, are... Watch what happens to them. First of all, open your Bibles with me, and we're going to turn to uh, the book of John, chapter 3. This is a beautiful chapter, Christ's explanation of how the plan of salvation works in the life, Holy Spirit's work in the life. And um, let's pick up on one that we all know very well, John three sixteen. Okay? Judgment begins in the house of God. We're going to find the judgment of the wicked is a later time, and John 3.18 is going to tell us why. All right? So let's pick up on John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Can you say amen? But that the world through him might be saved. Now watch 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, But he who does not believe is condemned, how? Already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So so here's the reality that this text is telling us. All of us, by default, once we sin, once we sin, 
We're lost. And the only way out of that condition is through Jesus. There's no other way. So if I don't choose Jesus, there's no hope for me. My only way out is Christ. Does this make sense? I need Jesus. We don't understand the sin issue very well. I want to illustrate our problem with this knife. We have medical people here. Medical people, raise your hands. Okay, good. I want you to imagine that we're, we're in a, a surgical room and there's a little table here and uh, there are instruments and the instruments are covered by cloth, right? And so I peel back the cloth and expose the instruments and what is that area called? A sterile field, right? These instruments can be used for surgery, right? How about now? Is it safe to use? Brothers and sisters think, can't it still perform? It can still perform, but everything it touches is contaminated. You see, even though we can do good things, all of our good things is contaminated with sin, with selfishness and self. The knife that is now contaminated, can it fix its problem? No. It needs a source outside of itself to cleanse it so that its performance is now acceptable. Does that make sense? So the issue is not whether or not I can perform. The problem is I'm contaminated and I need a cleansing so that my works are acceptable unto the Lord. So let's continue here. And we're on number five. Who is the prosecuting attorney? Revelation 12, 9 and 10. The great dragon called the devil and Satan. Who is he? The accuser of our brethren. Brothers and sisters, the accuser of the brethren is not God. It's not God. God has gotten this incredible rap. See, the devil knows. The devil knows that if you and I get a picture of what God is really like, we're going to throw our arms wide and we're going to run to him. The devil knows this. So he does everything to smear, to smear the character of God so that we don't get a picture of him. But God is beautiful. Let me share with you a message God has for you, brothers and sisters. Whether Number one, I already read one to you, that God so loved the world that he gave. I don't know if we've ever really stopped to think about this. Ellen White uses a couple of expressions that when I will not understand until I get to heaven, but she says that Christ risked eternal loss. What is that? What in the world is that? Then she says this, he risked the throne for you. What is that? That's love. That's what that is. It's love. God is not the accuser. He is not. Open your Bibles. Let's turn to John 16. John 16. You there? Say amen. Okay, John 16. And I am going to read verse 27. And it says this. For the Father himself, what? 
loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come forth from God. Brothers and sisters, the Father loves you. That's the message he wants you to know and to understand and believe. He does. But more. Take a look at Luke. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 30. This is so precious, these words. I just love these words. Luke 12, I'm going to read verse 32. It says this, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to what? To give you the kingdom. God is doing, the Father is doing everything he can to save you and me. And we're doing everything we can to make it hard for him. Are you with me? The father is not the one to fear. The father is not the one that's accusing us. The devil keeps his own records. He's the one that is the accuser, not the father. But it gets better. Number six, who is the defense attorney? 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate, which is a what? A lawyer with the father. Who is it? Jesus Christ the righteous. So you've just been subpoenaed. You just learned that today. Guess who's your attorney? It's your Savior. The brother of our race is our attorney. But it gets better. Number seven, who's the judge? John 5.22. For the Father judges no one. Let that sink in. The Father judges. Judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So you've just been subpoenaed. You just learned that the lawyer, your lawyer, is Jesus. But now you've discovered he's also the judge. If you trust your case to him, he will not lose it. Are you with me? He will not lose it. The reason why the Father has committed... Now, the Father is present. He is what Sister White calls the presiding judge. He is present, but he is not the acting judge. Jesus is. And she explains why, and I'll give you a reference in our next message, the reference for it. And the reason being is because Jesus entered into our experience. And so he walked in our shoes. He understands what we go through. Thus... He is qualified. Are you with me? All judgment is turned over to him for that very reason. So let's take a look at number eight. Our study of the Bible will reveal three phases to the judgment. Phase one is the investigative investigation of the righteous. If found not guilty, they are acquitted, set free. The word tells us there is now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? Okay, but if it is found that guilty, that we turned back from our commitment to Christ, that we did not remain in an abiding relationship with him and broke off that relationship, then we default to phase two along with the wicked. Phase two is the sentencing stage of the wicked, and this takes place during the thousand years. Then uh, phase three is the executive portion of the sentence, which is the destruction of sin and sinners. Does that make sense? We're going to flesh this out a little more in my last presentation tomorrow morning. Number nine, what are the books called 
uh, talked about in Daniel 7.10. Remember we read, we read the books are open? The Bible references three books. Letter A, the book of iniquity. Jeremiah 2.22 reminds us, your, yet your iniquity, your sin, is marked before me, says the Lord. So anytime we step outside of God's will, there is a recording angel that records that. And it's not just the things we do, it's the things we think about. Can you say amen to that? that, that that's just the truth. That's just the reality. We have to understand the, the nature of what we're up against here, of what's happening. Let's take a look at book number two. By the way, do we need Jesus? Do we need the blood of Christ? No games. Isn't that the truth? All of us do. Let's take a look at number, uh, letter B, the book of remembrance, Malachi 3.16. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, uh, and who meditate on his name. So there's a book of remembrance, and in this book are recorded all of our good deeds. Are you with me? All right, all the good. I'm going to revisit that. But all of our good deeds are recorded. Number three is the book of life. Revelation 3, 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before what? His angels. And so there's a, the thing is that how many of you here have given your lives to Jesus Christ? Okay. All of your names are recorded in the book of life. Every one of you. The key is keep it there. The key is to keep it there. And so there's an investigation to see if it can be kept there. Let's take a look at number 10. What is the standard by which all will be judged? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret Thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. So the standard, God wrote the standard on Mount Sinai. Amen? That's the standard, the law. But Jesus came to show us what that standard looks like when it's written on the heart. So the standard of the judgment in written form is the Ten Commandments, but in living, it's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that is why it is so fatal to compare ourselves among ourselves. You see, all of us are contaminated. Why are you going to compare yourself against someone else who's contaminated? To see if you're good or not. That's crazy. We can only safely compare ourselves to Jesus. Listen, you may think, well, Pastor Baute does it, it must be okay. Yeah, but in the end, you and Pastor Baute may be lost. Don't follow Pastor Baute. Follow Christ. Follow Jesus. He's the only safe example we have to follow on all points at all times. Don't, young people, do not focus on anyone other than Jesus. There are so many hypocrites in the church. Yeah, well, welcome to life. Look to Jesus. Are you, will, are you with me? Look to Jesus. That's the key. Absolute key. All right. Where am I here? Am I, am I in number 10? 11. What will the judgment bring to light? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. For God will bring every work into judgment, including what? Every secret thing. So it's not just that we do good things, it's why? Why did we give that big offering? You know, we put the $1 bill in, we don't want anybody to see it. But if it's something bigger than that, isn't that the carnal heart? Isn't that right? 
Can I hear an amen? <laughs> yeah, that's the carnal heart. And so the Lord, it's even the good things. Why do we do even the good things? Not only that, but every idle word. And so the key is, if we don't want to face it in the judgment, then don't, don't say it. Number 12, what is Jesus seeking to accomplish in his followers, the church, through the judgment process? Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 25-27, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, uh, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having what? Spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be what? Holy and without what? Blemish. To reflect Christ in every way. You know, during World War II, um, I, I shared with you how the, the Axis forces and the, and the Allied forces were in this desperate struggle in Europe. And many times those battles... Uh, took place from city to city. There was a lot of uh, street fighting. And that's a tough, I mean, it's, it's bad enough when you're out in the jungle and stuff, but when you're in the city, it's easy to hide and get behind the lines of your enemy. Are you with me? And so, uh, so as they were firing, the thing that's very interesting is that the weapons, the weapons that were used by both sides made a different sound. They made a different sound. The Allied weapons, you had things like uh, the Thompson submachine gun, you had the M1 rifle, the, the, the carabiner, you had the, uh, the, uh, the Colt 45, not the Colt, but you had, yeah, the pistol, the 45, okay? And the German army had the Luger, uh, they had the Mauser, they had their submachine gun, but every weapon made a different sound. So as the enemy, as these armies would collide in the city and they would be sweeping a, 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 a street, if they heard a weapon discharged behind them that sounded different from their own, they knew that the enemy had gotten behind them. In other words, you can tell which side of the battle you're on by whose weapons you're using. And in the spiritual warfare, it's the same thing. Paul talks about that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And if you go to Galatians 5, you will find the weapons of Christ. Love, joy, peace, goodness, uh, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what? Self-control is the fruits of the spirits. Those are the weapons of Jesus. And you know that night in the upper room when uh, Jesus, Ellen White, it just so touches my heart, she says that he hungered for Judas's soul. Hungered for it. He had already met with the Jewish leadership twice to betray Christ. Did Jesus know that? All Je Listen, do you remember? Do you remember when they came for Jesus in the garden that Peter pulled out the sword and was ready to take on the whole temple guard? If they had known in the upper room what Judas was about to do, do you really believe he would have made it to the door? He would have never made it. All Jesus would have had to have done was to expose him. And he protected him instead. He didn't expose him. And if we understood Jewish culture, we would come to understand that night in the upper room that Jesus was trying desperately to win that poor lost soul. He allowed him to sit to his left side. By the way, in the Jewish culture, that was a position of honor. He washed his feet first. What was happening that night in the upper room is that Jesus had locked and loaded on Judas and opened fired with all of his weapons of love in full fury. And the record says that he almost gave in, that he resisted love. How sad.
Satan has weapons too. Let's open our Bibles. Take a look at them. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to pick up here at verse 19. If you're there, please say amen. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, that's uh, sexual relationships outside of marriage, uncleanliness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfishness, and selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, drunkenness, murders, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Both sides have weapons, and we can tell which side of the battle we're on by whose weapons we are choosing to use. That makes sense. Can you say amen? Okay, which number are we on now? We're number 13? Okay. What happens if a sin remains on the books unrepented of and unforsaken? Exodus 32:33 says, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Uh, Ezekiel 18:24. But when a righteous man, what kind of man? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, all the righteousness which he, shall, which he has done shall not be, what? Remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty, and the sin which he has committed, he shall what? So his good deeds will no longer be remembered. If he is lost, his good deeds will be removed from the book of life. Why? Lord, that isn't fair. Oh, yes, it is. Stop and remember. In our condition, all the good that we do is motivated and contaminated by sin itself. If we do anything that is selfless and motivated by love, it is only because Jesus is working it out through us. They're not our works. They're his. We only yielded to his power in our life. Does this make sense? So what am I saying? What are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is this, that when we really do finally do what is right for the right reasons, you and I have nothing to brag about. Nothing. We lay all the accolades at the feet of Jesus. All the praise goes to Christ, not to us. It is appropriate for him to take back what he gave in the first place. That makes sense. Let's take a look at number 14. But what if I have repented of my sin? Okay, brothers and sisters, listen to this. Now, remember, we're talking about sins that are unrepented of and unforsaken. That's what the subject was about. Does that make sense? Okay, now let's continue. But what if I have repented of my sin and have turned from it and by faith had claimed the blood of Jesus as my atoning sacrifice? Will my sin be blotted out and my name rename in the, remain in the book of life? Here's the answer. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my, name, for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Amen. Take a look at the next one, Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father, before the angels. Can you say amen? Our name will not be blotted out if we repent and turn from it. Amen. Number 15. 
While the investigative judgment is taking place, what is my part? 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are what? Disqualified. Brothers and sisters, God is asking us to search our hearts to make sure that our lives are lining up with the life of Christ. We're living in the day of atonement. In the Day of Atonement in ancient Israel, during that time, the focus of Israel was just on that thing as the high priest was working in the most holy place. They knew that while he was in there, there was still hope for them. And so they were making sure, Lord, is there anything between my soul and my Savior? And if God brought something to their mind, they would repent of it right away because they knew that soon the high priest would leave. Brothers and sisters, soon the high priest was going to step out. The events around the world are telling us that he is even at the doors. It's almost over. And so right now is the time that we need to be comparing our lives to that Jesus, searching our own hearts. Now, I want to share something right here. If you ask Jesus to reveal to you if there's anything between your soul and your Savior and you give him permission and nothing comes to your mind, please don't borrow trouble. Are you with me? Don't sit there moping around worried. If you asked him when you are ready, and he is ready, he will reveal it to you. Just keep giving him permission every day. Are you with me? But don't go around going, there might be something there. Hey, God is more concerned with you being saved than you and I are. He won't. He, he emptied heaven of his greatest gift. He's not going to let you slip through, your, through his fingers when you're asking for help. Are you with me? Very important. All right. Now, I'm going to read this through. Follow with me. Take a look at the note right after 15. We must search our own hearts and lives by comparing ourselves with Jesus and his law. We are not irrevocably locked into salvation by one initial or isolated act of believing. We are called to continue in Jesus. There must be a sustained, persevering commitment to him, a continual personal union with him. And this is accomplished by choosing him as our Lord and Savior. How often? Daily. Amen? Every day. Consider, now I'm continuing, if we, cons- if we understand the key importance of the power of choice in our day-to-day lives, we will have no difficulty understanding the operation of the pre-advent judgment. The key here that we must lock into, the one variable has to do with our freedom of choice. Let's continue and watch this emerge. Number one, our initial choice to receive Christ by faith puts us in Christ. At the moment of our initial commitment, Jesus gives us the legal right to live forever with him. Can you say amen? The moment, by the way, I learned the spirit of prophecy that when we give our lives to Jesus, that at that moment an angel is dispatched to make your crown. Reads in the little book, uh, Heaven, the compilation. There's an angel dispatched to make your crown. You're giving your life to the Lord, there is a crown waiting for you. But the prince of darkness is going to do everything he can to see to it. You never wear it. Are you with me? But there is a crown. And so the moment we give our lives to Jesus, we have the legal right to be his child and to live with him. Okay, we refer to that as justification. That's the outer court experience. Remember, that's how we become Christians. But now let's go on and let's study how to remain Christians. Number two and three. Let's take a look at two first. This is the holy place experience. Our sustained habitual faith choices to keep on receiving him keeps us in Christ in a state of perfect security. 
All right? Can you say amen to that? Number three, consciously and deliberately, we must renew our surrender to Jesus' control on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. By the way, that's voluntary control. This is what the Bible means by abiding in Him, continuing in the faith, enduring unto the end, keeping ourselves in the love of God, and holding fast the beginning of our confidence. How long? Firm unto the end. You know, um, what we're seeing here is that victory comes by being connected to Jesus. Uh, Did you catch that? We need to remain in a continual, connected relationship with Christ. All right, Seth, I need you up here again. We have another illustration here. If you'll come over here. All right. I'm going to use an illustration. I have a sin problem. I'm struggling with sin. And the sin problem that I have uh, is that, uh, let's, this is just an illustration, is that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the rain and I'm soaking wet and I need victory over rain. I, I'm struggling with the sin of rain. I need victory over rain. And so I'm, I'm struggling, I'm thinking, what do I do? And then I, I, I have a friend here, his name is Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, come unto me. All ye that are burned heaven laden, I will give you rest. Jesus says, I'll take care of your, of your rain problem. So I go to Jesus, right? And, and I stay with Jesus, and soon I'm dry. I have victory over rain. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for the victory over rain. Brothers and sisters, stay there. Victory. <laughs> victory is never something that Christ gives us apart from himself. Jesus is our victory. It is Jesus that is our victory. And as long as I stay with Jesus each day, I have victory. Now go ahead and start walking. Now as Jesus moves, I have to, notice who's holding the umbrella. It's not me. I have to make the decision to follow Christ wherever he leads. And my victory is Jesus. As long as I stay with Jesus, I have the power to say no to sin. Does this make sense? And the desire Jesus, thank you so much. Victory is never something that is given to us apart from himself. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? Do you remember when they came to Jesus and they told him that Lazarus was dying? Do you remember that story in Desire of Ages? Okay. Jesus obviously didn't go. The comment under that that Ellen White writes is powerful. She says that Jesus knew that in his presence, death would have had no power over Lazarus. He had to stay away. Jesus is our victory. You know, I I work with people that are stuck on various uh, addictions, Uh, whether it's cigarettes, alcohol, or the big one now is pornography. It is enormous. If you do some research on what pornography does to the brain, it it is exactly the same damage that heroin does. It actually destroys the brain, the human brain. And, and it actually po- po- puts holes in the brain. Do the research and see if what I'm telling you is the truth. It destroys the brain. The Satan is a mastermind. He knows exactly what to do. And the odds are there are a whole bunch, men and women in this room right now, that are addicted to pornography. Those, that's the research. 
Brothers and sisters, the answer is in Jesus. I remember a man, when I was uh, in Hendersonville, we were having a, 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 a study at someone's house, and we were talking about end-time events, and I remember a man coming to me, he took me aside, he wasn't a member of my church, but he took me aside, and he said to me, in her tears, he said, Pastor, I, I have been an Adventist all my life, and for the last 12 years, he was married, had kids, I have been addicted to pornography. My, my victory has been sporadic. I cannot shake it. So I had one question for him. My brother, talk to me about your devotional life. What is it like, he says, sporadic? Remember that illustration I showed you about the darkness and the life and the light? It's a matter of physics, brothers and sisters. Light and darkness cannot coexist in the same space. It's physics. So this is what I told him. Get Desire of Ages and start reading it. You're going to have to make some choices here. Get a block and put it on your, phone, on your, on your computer at home. It's not going to keep you. You know how to get around it. But it's going to buy the Holy Spirit time to get to you when you're overwhelmed in temptation. Then I said, you know your smartphone? Get a dumb one. Don't get easy access to the Internet. Okay, because that is what's destroying us, our people. And, and so he did. He, he took off, and, he, and I didn't see him for over a year. I ran into him in a camp meeting. And I saw him, and I thought, let me see how things are going. So I walked up to him, and I put my arm around him. I said, brother, how are things going? And he looked at me and broke into the biggest smile and gave me the thumbs up. I want to share something with you, no games. If that's the addiction, you are in for a battle royale. You are. But Jesus will set you free. Jesus will set you free, brothers and sisters. Don't give up. Keep meeting with Christ every day. Victory is never something that we get apart from Christ. I want to share something with you here. Okay, we're talking about coming to Jesus every day. Amen? We're talking about uh, making sure there's no sin, recommitting our lives. We're talking about going, uh, making sure we're, that, the Holy, that we're Holy Spirit filled, that we're in the Word, and we are spending time with God in prayer. That's the daily experience. <clears throat> what happens if when you're reading the word, suddenly the Lord reveals to you a sin? What you do is you come back out here, you confess that sin, you recommit that area of your life to Jesus, you ask for Holy Spirit power to say no, and you keep spending time in the word because that's where the power is diffused in the life to say no to sin. Are you with me? Why are you sharing this with us again, Pastor? Because I want to point something out. What's out here? What is that? The, this is the courtyard, but what's this? It's the curtain, right? What was that curtain made out of? What did it represent? Christ's righteousness. When you, when you give your life to Christ and you meet with Him daily, you are covered by the righteousness of Christ. If God reveals sin to you, at that moment, if you go and ask for forgiveness, you're still covered. But know this that if we don't ask for forgiveness, the righteousness of Christ was never given to cover sin, known sin. And if we do not repent, we knock ourselves out of that process. Does that make sense? But when we realize something, we ask God for help and forgiveness, brothers and sisters, we are still covered. Let's take a look at number four. One factor and one factor alone jeopardizes our security and takes us 
and, and take us out of Christ. That is what? Our own will. Our own decision to do things our way. So one element of risk remains, but that lies within ourselves. While no man or demon or circumstance can destroy our security in Jesus, we can destroy that security by carelessness or perversity or neglect. Right? It's every day making sure I'm allowing Jesus to sit on the throne of my heart. Number five, accordingly. When our individual cases are reviewed in the judgment before Jesus comes to bring his reward with him, only one matter will need to be investigated. Did this man and woman continue to abide in Jesus? Remembering that abiding relationship with Jesus is always manifested in a life of obedience to his commandments. Can you say amen? It's not church membership that's going to save me. It was the church members that crucified Christ. Church membership won't save me. It is my yielded relationship to Christ that will. Let's take a look at number six. In the end, we pass judgment. We do. By the consistent quality of our personal day-to-day choices, day-to-day choices, we are now deciding or sealing our eternal destiny. A godly character is made up of the thousands of individual choices which we are now making in response to the Holy Spirit's prompting. It's not God's choices we need to be worrying about, brothers and sisters. It's our own. And if you need a reference for that, page 57, Ellen White clearly states that we are the ones that pass judgment upon ourselves. We do. Very interesting, by the way. So it's our daily choices that we're making. One of the things that I find very tragic is that at the very end, the majority of our people are going to leave the Adventist church. The majority are going to walk out. Ellen White, in fact, was shown in vision that so many leave that it will appear as though there is no longer a Seventh-day Adventist church. How sad. And at that very moment, as our people are leaving, who had all the truth and had the health message and had returned their tithe, as they leave, guess what? The world, the Sunday keepers, come in and embrace the message. And I find this sad for, for several reasons. Number one, we were not, it's apparent that many of our people were not um, taking advantage of the opportunity in a time of peace. And the Sunday keepers accept our message when doing so is going to cost them their lives. How, did that, how can that happen? I'll tell you how. Because each day we were training our minds. Each day as the Holy Spirit prompts us, as we say yes to Him, we are training our minds to always say yes to God. So as we're saying yes to God, yes to God, yes to God, we're training our minds. But as we say no to God, even though we have the truth, but we're saying no to God, we're training our minds to reject God. So as many in the church who have the privileges are saying no, 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 when the crisis hits, they have already trained themselves to say But the Sunday keeper, with the little bit of light that they had, were saying yes, 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 yes. And when the crisis hits and the truth is presented and accepting it means their lives, they're going to gladly say yes. Because they had trained their minds to yield to the Savior and to his leading in their lives. In the end, based on what I just said, who is it that closes our probation in the end? We do. It's not God. We close it. As we continue to train our minds to say no, we will finally come to the place we can no longer hear his voice. It's not God that shuts our probation down. We do. Does that make sense? 
Number seven, at no point in time, either at conversion, during our Christian lives, or at the judgment, does God act arbitrarily to override or manipulate our power of choice. The decisions of heaven's court are not arbitrary. It is our decisions that determine the verdict. Heaven simply recognizes them. At the judgment, God takes note of the current quality of our commitment, our current orientation of heart and will, and places his seal of confirmation upon the lifestyle or character that we have consistently chosen. God's verdict in the judgment simply discloses uh, and vindicates the quality and direction of our habitual personal choices. Brothers and sisters, is God the one to fear in the judgment? Who is it we're to fear? Ourselves. Summary. As free moral agents, we are the architects of our own destiny. Our decisions all along the way are what count, not just those at the beginning. Acceptance of Jesus does not make us into robots. The salvation process is not automatic. Our initial commitment to him does not take away our power of choice. We are always free to choose another master. Accordingly, it is not God's future decisions at the judgment that we need to fear. It is our own decisions, the ones that we're making now, and they are under our control. Brothers and sisters, is God fair? Is he fair? Amen. Let's take a look at the note. These considerations should not rob us of the quiet assurance that all Christians may have. They only protect us from the false assurance of resting comfortably in a relationship that has never existed or one that we have since lost. Number 16. When the investigative judgment is done, what verdict is reached? Revelation 22, 10-14. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his what? His works. And so what's happening, what's, this is the declaration, the close of probation. Is anyone noticing that the world is getting worse? What is happening right now is that by the choices we're making every day, we are actually developing character that either reflects Jesus more and more or Satan more and more. In other words, it either reflects love more and more or selfishness more and more. And it's very interesting to me to watch the world is getting worse, but there's a small group that's getting better. The crisis in the end only accelerates the process a crisis doesn't make or break a person, it only reveals them. But right now, is the decisions that we're making is, the, is, is showing that. That's why it's so important that in, in everything that we do, we do things that direct our minds to Jesus Christ. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Are you with me? In the music that I listen to. You know, if there's something, you know, with my kids every once in a while when they were little, I'd say, is there anything in the house that you feel the Holy Spirit's been touching your heart that it doesn't belong here. My kids would rummage through the house. They'd bring in stuff. This doesn't belong here, Daddy. There's stuff that got under my radar screen. Are you with me? If there, if there are movies, if there is music, if, the question is, if it's not helping me to, 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 to give me a picture of the character of Jesus, do I really need it? 
No, because it's, it's either going to pull me this way or that way, and I don't know about you, but I need all the help I can get. I need all the help I can get. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about wanting Jesus Christ. It's about wanting Jesus. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. What for? Salvation. And when he comes, when he leaves here, It's glorification, victory over the presence of sin. Out here, victory over the record of sin, victory over the power of sin, victory over the presence of sin, justification, sanctification, and glorification. You know, I remember a a dear friend of mine who went through a lot in life. He was like a modern-day Job. He buried two kids. Uh, His wife struggled with cancer. He came upon a tragic accident one day and he started helping out only to learn that it was his brother that was in there. And I can go on. And I remember one day, but boy, did he hold on to Jesus. He just loved his Savior, how he wept over these losses. But he knew that God would restore that which was taken from him. And I remember one day in church, he made this comment under his breath, and I will never forget it. He said, the longer I live, the better heaven looks. Isn't that true? The longer I live, the better heaven looks. Let's take a look at that final note. The removal of sin from the sanctuary is the final act of the sanctuary service. Thus, when Jesus' work and the investigative judgment is done, the destiny of all would have been decided for life or death. Probation is ended and Jesus returns for his children. Can't wait for that day. Number 17, is Jesus able to secure my case before the heavenly courts? Is that what you're thinking? Look away from self, brothers and sisters. There is no hope there. You'll never find it. Look to the one who is higher than I. Look to Jesus. He who is able to finish the work that he has begun in your and my life. He can do it. He can do it. And what is the answer? Is he able to secure my case before the heavenly court? Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation in those who what? Are, are, are in Christ Jesus. How often? Daily. Daily. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is inviting you and me to turn our lives over to him, to trust him fully, and to allow him to be our lawyer, our judge, our savior, and our friend. Are you willing to let him do that? Amen. I am too. Before I close out with prayer, I just want to remind you that our next presentation is entitled, Why Jesus Waits. The sanctuary explains the reason for the delay in the second coming. We're going to find out what it is. Will you join me and kneel with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we have read something that is very sobering. It is encouraging to know that you love us and that you're not willing that any should perish. 
that it is your desire to give us the kingdom, and we're so thankful for that. You have opened the gates of heaven for us by sending your son to die for our sin. But Lord, we have come to a very sober realization that our choices do play a part. And Father, when we look to ourselves, we don't see any hope. We see brokenness. We see sin. But Lord, I pray that you will help us to look above that, to look to you. You have promised to cleanse us of our sin. You have promised, Lord, to write your laws upon our hearts and minds. That comes under the provision of the new covenant. You promised that you would work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Help us to remember that it's not about what I can do. It never was. It's about what you can do in the life of an individual who believes you and will yield their life to you and allow you to finish what you have begun in them. Help us, Lord, to turn away to our helpless selves to a hopeful Savior. Help us to turn away from our weakness to your strength. Help us to remember, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that none that come to you will you turn away. You have promised. Thank you, Lord. And you cannot lie. And so, Lord, I pray now for the outpouring of your Spirit upon each. I pray, Lord, that the words that were spoken were filtered through the Holy Spirit and that each has heard the clarion call not only that you love them, but that you're calling us all to higher ground, not in our strength, but in yours. And working out our salvation is nothing more than cooperating with you and the work that you're desiring in our lives. Thank you for your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you will refresh us. It's been a long day. And bring us back for that last presentation. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.